Welcome to the Actual Fluency Podcast. Each week you'll find inspirational, motivational interviews with some of the world's best language learners, industry experts, all trying to help you to learn foreign languages better, faster, and more efficiently. And here we go. If you're looking for a language teacher to enhance your language learning, then I highly recommend italki. Italki is the world's biggest tutoring platform, and you can find thousands of teachers and tutors at very reasonable prices. Get a free lesson after completing your first lesson by going to languageteacher.co. Hello and welcome to episode 166 of the Actual Fluency Podcast. This is Chris, uh, your host. I'm really happy to welcome you here, and thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode. Today I'm talking about the language alter ego and how our cultural identity shapes our language learning, or is it vice versa? <laughs> that, that's what I'm going to talk with my uh, special guest today. We're also going to talk about her language upbringing, her language learning, how she became a polyglot, and the reason I'm not naming her name is, is a, there's a special reason for that, which I normally do at this time, uh, so you will hear about that when the episode starts. But in the meantime, I'm just going to say this is a, one of the most impressive guests I've ever had on. Her achievements are really long, and she's not; she's quite young, still. So, um, you know, from founding her own company to becoming some of the hardest startups in the world, uh, a TEDx speaker, memory athlete, um, linguist by uh, schooling. So, there's a, a long list here, but uh, the main reason that we're talking about language alter ego today is because she published a book on on the subject. So if you are interested in that, go to Amazon, type in Language Alter Ego, you should find the book there. Before that, let me just take a quick second to just have a little update here. What's going on? What's new? And yeah, what what's happening? <laughs> the actual Fuzzy podcast is still going strong, 166 episodes. And I've kind of made a pledge to at least get to 200 episodes. It's not because it's a stretch or anything. There's loads of interesting people out there to interview, lots of topics still to cover. But as I've mentioned before, I don't want to do it just to do it. You know, th there needs to be kind of a point with it. So the messages and emails I get from, from readers and, and, and listeners of the podcast really help me to understand what you guys are looking for, what is it that you like about the interviews, uh, what can I do more of, what should I do less of, uh, all that kind of stuff really helps me. So uh, thank you to those who, who send those messages. And, you know, if you haven't sent me a message yet, you're more than welcome to. I love getting messages. Chris at actualfluency.com. And uh, what else is new? Yeah, I'm going to a podcasting conference in Boston, actually the day after this, this airs. And uh, it's called Sound Education. And I'm going to be on a panel with few other podcasters like the Duolingo podcast and the Coffee Break series use the Soul Spanish and we can talk about the role of language learning podcasts in uh, language learning so that's going to be exciting and I'm looking forward to also seeing Boston again which I think is a complete is a very nice town or city <laughs> rather I was there a few years ago and um, I really enjoyed my time there I think the kind of area around Harvard Square is absolutely beautiful and it's obviously a very, um, it, it, let's say, a foodie-friendly city. So uh, looking forward to going back there and, and having a good time, doing some networking, talking to some fellow podcasters, and maybe getting some tips for how I can improve this podcast. So if any of you are in Boston and you're listening to this uh, as it uh, as it goes out on, on uh, Monday, the uh, the 7th of October, do, uh, do reach out. Maybe we can meet up for a beer or, or something. But uh, in the meantime, enjoy this episode about language alter ego and cultural identities welcome to the show mystery guest uh, i just asked you if i should introduce you as ekaterina or kate and you said you had a, a story to tell about that so let's start with that do, 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 do. hi chris <laughs> thank you so much for inviting me uh, that's an honor indeed like it's really cool what you're doing and i believe that this gathering of all the materials here and stories like fascinating, especially the stories, right? Because what could be more interesting than, uh, well, a story, yeah? Um, yeah, you're right. Like, like it, it, it creates confusion, yeah, how to introduce me. So officially, so the name is, or like the brand is, um, Ekaterina Matviva. Um, however, 
depending on the language, I prefer a local version of my name. Like, for example, even like this very moment, um, I'm in Senegal. I just got from Gambia. And here I started picking up a bit of Wolof, local language. And I already got my local name, like the version of Ekaterina, uh, Kate is Kadi. So uh, when we speak in English, Kate or Catherine, the most appropriate. And I'm used to Kate, I don't know, like since I've been probably seven or eight. Therefore, when somebody addresses me Kate, I automatically switch to English. And like in French, it would be Catherine, yeah, in uh, Spanish, Portuguese, Catarina, Catalina, and Italian, Caterina, yeah. So like um, in Polish, Kasia, yeah, Katarina. So in Russian, like Katya, yeah. So like uh, in Chinese, it's always like, yeah, playing around like with sound, like Catalina, you know, like, because like no lunar, yeah. So um, it's quite fascinating. Like in uh, Farsi, Wow, yeah, and and we'll get into this topic of uh, kind of language alter egos, and but I just want to um, just insert my own experience with that because I had exactly the same. Uh, my name is spelled with a K and double F, so you know, in in English when you say Christopher, they always expect it to be C and PH. So when I was starting out, and I said, and people said, "What's your name?" I said, "Oh, I'm Chris." They all write to me with CH. And nobody will call me Christopher because in English, you know how it is, everyone abbreviates every name if possible. <laughs> um, so for a while online, I was actually known as C-H-R-I-S in the English world and K-R-I-S-T-O-F-F-E-R <laughs> in the Danish world, uh, kind of living a double life, uh, which I eventually uh, kind of merged together. But uh, we'll get into all that uh, in, in in a bit. But, but tell us how you got started in, in language learning. When did you get that? hobby uh, how did you get into that uh, a niche uh pretty much um one of my professions um well i'm a linguist so this kind of really you know logic so linguistics yeah and languages however i should say that my language journey started like the way before you know i was born <laughs> because um my family is quite a mix so from my mother's side, my grandma and all like her family comes from Poland. And my grandpa, my father's father, uh, is coming from Greece, like Greek roots. And um, my parents happened to grow up in Mongolia. <laughs> they didn't know each other, but they actually studied at school in Mongolia. Like uh, it happened so as Soviet Union was developing uh, that region and Mongolia is located between Soviet Union and uh, China. So my grandparents on both sides uh, were sent to develop the um, economy and like the industry in Mongolia. So my parents went as well. Anyway, so they were kind of strangers, yeah, from country. And when they got back to Soviet Union, so they met, and then Soviet Union right, fell, and I was born, and it was a havoc. So I grew up like during civil war, basically, because we kind of we stayed in Moscow, but then later so it was World War so yeah, kind of Poland, right? So I was exposed to some Polish, and my grandpa, uh, while fighting in the World War Two, liberated Warsaw, and uh, so we talked a lot about it and histories. But I didn't speak like you know Polish, Polish. I spoke like Russian, a little bit you know, Polish. And then I started picking up English probably like when I was seven or eight, somewhere there. And probably as well a little bit of Spanish somewhere in some summer camp. And um, yeah, I mean, um, there was like no, let's say, no expectations, yeah, about languages because at that time I was professionally dealing with um, my sport career, like uh, I was in synchronized swimming and sport was like everything and then theater became everything <laughs> and um, later when i did i got involved a lot into theater during my like, um, teenage years um starts going more and more like abroad like you know during summer period of time like holidays and um, i went on a like euro trip 
uh, which included like France, Netherlands, you know, Belgium, even like two weeks living family in London. And I believe that that particular trip um, kind of changed my perception because at that time so I was 15. So theater studio, like uh, acting, uh, preparing for universities, uh, still like no clue where to go, what to do, suffering pretty much from studying languages because um, all this um, like post-Soviet system was really outdated and it was like not just stick and a carrot, but stick. And when I was a four-year-old kid, actually, I um, didn't go to kindergarten. I went to, well, I was sent to, um, like, a specialized school, like, in a gymnasium type. Yeah, specialized German school. And there, as I, like, now I'm laughing, but honestly, like, I was tortured there. Like, you know, I was yelled at, like, um, das ist card, you know, to learn German. And uh, that really traumatized me, like, and I couldn't bear like even like you know sound of German for many years yeah so anyways like uh, so when I went on that Euro trip around like 15 yeah for 10 yeah 15 um I felt that I was limited by my kind of like two and a half languages so uh, I was at that time like Russian English part of Polish yeah when we were in Poland I was picking up yeah very quickly because uh, some of you know sounds were familiar words were familiar but when we were in France, for example, yeah, in the Netherlands, yeah, like, it was just impossible. Like, when we were in France in hotel, we needed, like, you know, hot water, like, for instant noodles. And we got in a reception, we are like, asking, do you speak English? The person says, yes. And then when we start explaining to him what we need, he just says, yes. That's the level of English, you know, in France at that time. So, yeah, so we felt really, you know, <laughs> kind of limited. And then... Um, when I had a chance to get immersed into culture, especially in London, yeah, while living in family, I just realized that I wanted to bring change to education. And what I mean by it is I kind of experienced it with my own skin, all these horrors, yeah, of education when you're terrified of making mistakes, yeah, like when you develop this type of like psychological trauma complex of being the best in the classroom, yeah, otherwise you're not loved and all this. Yeah, I just like, I felt like, no, I need to change it. And, uh, you know, surprisingly, that winter after that trip, it started kind of like dawning on me, you know, like a dawn on me. Um, I started dreaming. Like, literally, I started dreaming as if I was, again, like, four years old. What I mean by it, that I could see, like, you know, like, visions. How in the future, when I would be, like, 30-something, I would have a school. And this school would provide not just, like, grammar, you're, like, speaking, like, here, read this text, retell, but proper inclusive education about culture, history, geography, like art, yeah, of particular language. And not talking about like particular country, but actually particular language, including like all the countries that inherited, let's say, that language with their local cultures. And uh, that was very powerful. And I was like, you know, writing down all these ideas. And, and I was like, you know, writing down all these ideas. And around conflict, like debate with my parents, I wanted to go and, well, continue studying theater and acting. I loved it, but uh, they kind of, you know, went in the middle of my way saying, like, no, we don't want our daughter to be an actress. <laughs> and um, we compromised, and eventually I ended up in a linguistic university which was not bad, uh, comparing as well to other choices, because there were like um, universities of international affairs and all that. But uh, linguistics was good, because I ended up in um, theory and practice of foreign languages and cultures, where I discovered the history of linguistics and intercultural communication. That completely you know, carried me away. 
And what carried me away was Sapir and Worf and relative linguistics. And I loved it so much that I was trying to, well, develop further on the theories that I stumbled upon uh, about these linguistic personalities. And around the same time, uh, we were given our second language at the university. And, uh, well, I was lucky enough to get Spanish because there were like three languages, Spanish, uh, French, and German. And I was praying not to get German. I was praying. I was I was like so determined, you know, that if I were given German, yeah, I was like, okay, I would just change my, you know, study group. So, yeah, yeah, I'm not kidding. So you, you still had those nightmares from back in the childhood. Yeah, at that time, yes. But uh, like, it's funny enough, I think um, a year after, or so there was a festival of foreign languages. And uh, there was like a week of the German language or something very similar. So I happened to be in a theater, like in a cinema, right? And we were watching, what was that? It was one of the movies with Till Schweiger. And I know that the Germans kind of like detest him, right? But uh, I watched it in German with like German and English subtitles. And for the first time, I was like, hmm, German is not that bad. And that when I started coming back to German. But that's like, you know, it's, it's like the hallway. Yeah, like it's a way of, I don't know, 17 or 18 years. But anyways, yeah, so with Spanish, it was pretty quick. And uh, I think that uh, as well after studying the Latin, I mean, the Latin language, yeah, it was very easy. Like with English, with Spanish. And Spanish, God, it grew on me so fast. And I believe in a semester, I was already intermediate, like around intermediate from a complete zero, uh, which was not, of course, yeah, complete zero given Latin and English. But anyways, uh, at that time, I got the vision that, all right, I need to go somewhere in Spain and, um, well, help my brain, yeah, to create all these neural networks and really, like, get really good here at Spanish. And then the plan was, like, to do the same with Italian, but just on my own. And eventually, uh, at the end of my second year, so I went to Spain, to Salamanca. And that was just fascinating. Because uh, for the first time, it was my first trip, so I was 18. It was my first trip, alone, completely alone, being there. And just using my, like, kind of, you know, heritage from theater, yeah, from all those practices. I was there, like, imitating the locals. I was like learning, like, you know, fully immersed into Spanish culture, imitating everything. Habits, uh, body language, everything, like what I learned in theory about intercultural communication. And I loved it because by the, by the end of the stay of, like, um, of my trip, or I was just referred to, you know, this Catarina de Salamanca, you know, like so already, you know, a local, <laughs> a local person. That was amazing. And when I got back, I decided to do something very similar with Italian. But uh, Italian, I decided to pick myself. And uh, that was a moment when I started developing the methodology. Because I uh, took the best from uh, the ways I was taught or I was learning English, Spanish, then as well Polish, right? And I started mixing it all up, coming up with something, you know, that would suit me. And uh, eventually, with Italian, um, I think I started working on it, like, the end of February, March. And by June, I was already mixing Spanish and Italian at high level. I mean, like, I was preparing for an exam in Spanish, like, B2C1. And uh, I was like, wow, I'm mixing it at this level and I'm preparing as well for like summer school, you know, in Italian. So it resulted like in something between like three, four months. But like the idea was that it's like 12 weeks, yeah. And each week corresponds to a particular topic, yeah, both in vocabulary and in grammar. And that's how you cover from zero to B1, at least. 
That's uh, pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty quick. But given, again, given that it's the same, um, um, you know, linguistic group, yeah, so like, for example, Roman, yeah, Roman group. And at the same time, we had a test in Spanish about the future, like, what would you like to, to do in the future? What would you like to have? And one of the answers was to speak 10 languages. <laughs> and that's right. when I consciously <laughs> ticked this box. And everybody laughed. And I was like, well, you know, now it seems easy. Because at that time, I was in this mindset that my, like, my mind and my brain, like, you know, both like, yeah, together, could do anything. Like anything and it worked because uh, I came to Italy and uh, like you know entrance exams and at, at the, the entrance exam like spoken entrance exam I got B2 very <laughs> very good yeah B2 I was surprised myself because I was like okay maybe like B1 B1 you know two but no B2 and like writing was a little bit you know more confusing so I had to work more on it but spoken was really good. And uh, then it got even crazier because I realized that given that I had covered by that time all the university program of like Spanish, you know, Spanish course, then Italian, and then like English, or like uh, the history of linguistics was over. I know <laughs> the cultural communication course was over. And it was kind of transition at the university from kind of bachelor level to master level. But at that time, they still didn't have this gradation. It was like, you know, one kind of specialist program. So I realized that I didn't want to continue. I wanted to go further. Like, you know, I needed a like, bigger challenge. And surprise, surprise, I got back from Italy. And within a month, I found two scholarships in Poland, in Warsaw and Krakow, and I just left to study there, like to continue studying, um, like same level, but I went for like, uh, let's say, social studies, uh, like more sociology, international relations, in order to see how language is used as a tool, you know, in negotiations, let's say, yeah, like, again, like um, education, like international education, a bit of politics. And I loved it. I loved it. And simultaneously with that, I needed again a big challenge. And I was like, you know, I was teaching. I was involved in like in projects, uh, like lots of projects, organization of um, debating communities. Uh, I started, you know, getting to know people, organizing like big events like G20. So I was like, you know, I was involved in a lot of intercultural and uh, international affairs. And then I, I just got into masters, um, like Erasmus Mundus, but not Erasmus Mundus the way how we know it, like exchange, like you know, for you know, three months. It was like a joint master, uh, combined four masters, so four universities, four masters, four diplomas. Wow. Yeah, and <laughs> that was quite a challenge as well to get into it. But I was applying like to a number of universities. I got accepted almost everywhere. And then I had this horrible, you know, kind of like headache. Oh, which one I choose? And eventually I opted for this program. And uh, first I went back to Spain, to Galicia, Santiago de Compostela. And they speak Gallego <laughs> there. So uh, it was a chance to kind of pick a little bit of Gallego. And also I started learning Portuguese there. Because here Portugal is very uh, close. So I started learning Portuguese. And it was very confusing when you are in a Gallego-speaking country. <laughs> and Gallego and Portuguese, you know? Yes, yes. So I was like, oh my God, what am I learning? Portuguese or Gallego? Eventually, yes. Yeah, so Portuguese for me, for the first time, like when uh, I, I could read it really well because of, yes, Spanish. Uh, but when I heard it, I felt like it was Polish. Yeah, and like with Polish, like honestly, it was no problem, like, you know, the, like p like picking it up. And while I was staying in Warsaw as well, like studying, I kind of, you know, I dedicated my time to grammar, to writing, yeah, working it out. Because uh, uh, there are lots of similarities, again, between like Russian and Polish, right? Uh, but there are particular things that could be quite tricky. Anyways, like, so Polish is just, like, fine, started, you know, influencing a little bit of Russian in terms of, I would say, kind of 
outdated words in Russian that are very similar in Polish and in Russian, and I really liked it because I used it in my poetry. And anyway, so with all this, like, studying in Spain, like in Galicia, uh, beautiful place, beautiful country, going more and more into sociolinguistics, sociology, loving it, working in research groups, then going to Italy, to Bergamo, University of Bergamo, again, like, yeah, Italian, there started, like, properly picking up French, yeah, because then it was as well um, the... Um, like the said that like the base like uh, the foundation of the program was in uh, France in Perpignan yeah very close again to Spain so yes anyway so picking up French and then going to St. Andrews and St. Andrews is in Scotland and I had no idea what was St. Andrews about so like on all my kind of journey with all the universities I was working on sociology, anthropology, sociocultural anthropology, uh, comparative linguistics, uh, international education and like oh, like in parallel I was working at European Commission as a representative of uh, uh, non-European uh, non Russian speaking students working on migration policies like until the conflict of 2014 and then and organizing European and world debates and championships like in India, in Malaysia, and like all, 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 and, and still like, you know, teaching and figuring out like what to do because it was a time when I was finalizing my master's in Scotland. I was like, okay, um, I still need to kind of finalize the dissertation of that, but uh, what am I going to do? Am I going for a PhD straight away or am I, am, I, am I actually tired of studying, you know, so much? Yes, I mean, obviously. <laughs> And um, then it um, like it just like came to me that I just found a mentor there uh, who helped me to figure out a little bit all my projects because we had a fantastic project on cultural shock with guys from other programs. Um, I was teaching and uh, there was a blog about opportunities in Europe and I had it all you know at once like three projects. And I was advised to focus on, well, one project. And uh, first, I, I just went for a few, let's say, internships, yeah, and I ended up at Memrise. And I had no idea who, like, what was Memrise and who was Ed Cook. And, uh, well, thanks to him, I found out about Memrise Sport. And uh, I think the same months when we met, um, I was already talking to a guy who was responsible for local cham like championships, yeah. And I think in August I was already at my first um, memory championship uh, in London. So then I got involved <laughs> into memory. <laughs> There's so much stuff uh, <laughs> yes, to go through. Yeah, I'm trying, like you know, to to kind of like yeah, to condense it. But I should say that, like after participating in a number of memory competitions including two world memory championships. I can say that uh, like this stuff works. Tony Brazan like created an amazing opportunity for many people like young and old um, to develop their brain. And uh, well, uh, all these techniques helped learn languages because uh, all these associative techniques helped me a lot, especially like with Chinese, while I was preparing to go to one of the world championships. Yeah, uh, all these associations between symbols, right, hieroglyphs, characters, yeah, it sounds. So um, it's a lot, yes, it's like about techniques, yeah, referring to techniques like what could help. It's yeah, what else do you use for your, uh, like when you're learning a language, uh, you, if you could yeah, like, yeah, summarize yeah, absolutely. it in, in a sentence or, or two, like what are your main key points of, of your language learning method? Right, so um, I believe so. It's a lot of psychology. It's we will come to this. Yeah, the personalities, but it's indeed um, I'm coming to this as like in theater, creating a new personality, creating a new kind of persona, you would say. But psychology is like more personality. So um, I'm looking at it. Okay, so here we're going to have a new person, <laughs> a new personality. Uh, what does it mean? So. Um, I'm very quick at, let's say, speaking, picking up speaking. So it means that lots of conversation. Um, but at the beginning, how are you going to get to this conversation? You need to study, you need to learn. So I use texts, um, texts, audios, 
and then I try uh, writing, like coping, let's say, um, let's say texts about everyday life, yeah, um, but in my own way, yeah, so let's say I'm describing my everyday life, coping the grammar constructions, yeah, used in the text, and then I can check, check out vocabulary. So if, let's say, I'm doing like this for 10, 12 topics, I get already a good number of vocabulary plus the main grammar constructions. This is kind of, well, fresh and passive. Then I start working with associations in the context. Yeah, so I try to use the same words and constructions, phrases um, in different contexts. And then I ask, either I ask my colleagues from Omalingua, yeah, from my school, or as well, like, um, I check with other professionals with whom I could practice. Yeah, so this is kind of going from zero to be one. If we talk about, well, um, Chinese, yeah, like Mandarin, right, or let's say Farsi or Arabic, it's slightly different. However, again, speaking is much faster. Like, uh, I believe, like, or like, not almost everyone, but the majority of people I talked, yeah, say that speaking, yeah, is much easier, uh, especially if you have a good ear. And uh, if we talk about uh, like uh, like everyday practice, I love changing languages while um, like writing, like my thoughts down, plans, journaling, yeah, just like diary, yeah. So you can find me like writing different languages, yeah. So it's just a lot. Of, it, it sounds like of, you've kind of perfected the uh, the smart and hard work at the same time. So it's not. Uh, so it's the most efficient. Yes, but I think as well, if we talk uh, about this professional way, as I say that when I started uh, properly working on my project, because um, so after this this uh, memorize and like other internships and then uh, this Chinese year world championship, where I had lots of adventures where I was almost kidnapped and I'm not kidding <laughs> wow yeah, that's yes. dramatic yes 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 I like um, um, one of Chinese organizations uh, uh, picked an interest on in me uh, given that they were coming from the northern part of China Harpin which is very close to Russia and it used to be uh, part of the Soviet Union so lots of them speak Russian there and they noticed that I was like part of me yeah, of Russian heritage so they could practice Russian with me and then they were interested in all these languages yeah, memory techniques uh, and as they were organizing uh, educational camps at the time in China they of course needed somebody from the west because then they could charge more so they were trying, you know, literally to kind of uh, put me into the position of an instructor, but uh, not in very familiar for the West way. Like, you know, checking me out of my hotel, checking me into their hotel without, like, letting me know, bringing me very expensive, I don't know, like, how much it costs, like, you know, different paintings. So I'm just describing you, you know, Chinese way of <laughs> negotiated, negotiation because you can't believe it, like, how scared I was. I was really scared. Imagine, yeah. Yeah, and uh, after that, I consulted with a lot of people who are, like, specialized in the Chinese culture, and I read a few books on, uh, on the strategies, like, actually how people work with China. And everything that was written there actually had happened in my life. <laughs> so I was like, wow, okay. So if you want to work with China, be ready for theater surprises and, well, lots of empty promises, soft power, and that everything comes from the leader. Crazy. Anyway, so yeah, so when I got back uh, like to the UK, I uh, like was determined uh, to form my school. And the main pillars were, well, this uh, rapid way of language learning, basically from zero to B1 within three, four months, yeah. Um, then uh, memory training, like, yeah, associative training for vocabulary or, like, uh, basic, yeah, grammar constructions. Uh, then it was uh, cultural intelligence. At that time, I was calling it as intercultural communication. Now it's, like, yeah, proper term, cultural intelligence. And another one at the time, it was more like coaching. Now we put it as soft skills. At the time, it was coaching because I also got through training in NLP, neurolinguistic programming. Yeah, so coaching leadership. And it was really good for students preparing for exams, for example. 
yeah, because they were all stressed and we knew how to help them psychologically. And then we changed to soft skills because there is a, a higher demand or perfecting communication skills in foreign languages, especially if we talk about management, leadership, global business. So that's just, you know, different angle, like public speaking, for example, yeah, or management. But anyways, yeah, so all this happened and I devoted myself to development of the project. And at that time, it was called Europe Online. And I got into incubator, then accelerator. And then suddenly, to my surprise, by the end of 2015, uh, we got into top 20 startups of the world. And yes, and uh, this is about like, you know, kind of like overnight success, which was not, yeah. However, the next morning when it all happened, we received so many inquiries, like, you know, to try like a language session, whatever it was. And we were not ready because like, you know, we were developing an app at the same time we were teaching and like everything was just like kind of even not beta uh, like version it was like not ready at all <laughs> like we, we couldn't even you know accept um like inquiries uh, like on uh, like on an automated you know an automated way everything was manual so it's like you know amazon at the beginning so we were like terrified because we received a couple of hundreds inquiries and uh, yeah i was just like frantically going around uh and then i found calendly they were just starting and uh, yeah we got in touch with them like guys <laughs> yeah guys help have you seen have you read cnbc have you read like you know the startups yes yeah, so like we as a startup so we need help here and we figured it out and then on sunday we were already with this automated yeah kind of like for um, trial in our system and on Monday MSN reposted all the CNBC news and it got even crazier but wow. then we were already kind of sad yeah so yeah and then in two weeks I go to another competition like to the finals of another competition like national UK competition and I got a UK businesswoman title that then allowed us to get like to secure grants so in 2016, after finalizing all this experiment with our project, we finally, like, properly set, like, a new brand, which is called Amolingua, like, Amar Lingua, yeah, so, like, to love language. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, yeah, it's been, like, crazy, because the um, first year was very tough, yeah, because it's all about, you know, not just not just about languages <laughs> let's put it this way <laughs> like you have yet to manage a company you have to do so much at the same time i was writing books uh, was invited to like to, to give a ted talk and it's been like all insane i think that was a time when we kind of briefly you like got, got introduction i think uh, i i shared with you that i wrote a book at the time it was my second book already at this language alter ego but then, you know, it wasn't the end because um, I was continuing with TED Talk with more as well scientific articles and the research. And now I'm, well, in, in the process of production of my third book <laughs> in Spanish. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes I think yes. my reaction was, uh, how do you get all this done? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a very good question. You know, I believe that um, it's due to all the you know childhood horrors <laughs> when i was in synchronous swimming yeah so i practiced it for five years um the discipline was number one and um i knew that if for example i um, let's say I, I would i would go from school straight to swimming pool and after swimming pool i would have just one hour to eat and to complete my homework and I wouldn't be able to do anything else later because I would be too tired and I would fall asleep. So I had to do it within that amount of time. So I believe that time management, <laughs> discipline, <laughs> like again, fatigue kind of coined it. I don't know. And it's all about as well energy and inspiration because it's, at some point then I just realized it uh, with books um, it took me quite a while actually to sit down and write books because I was always good at poetry. 
like uh, write in different languages now less but used to be really a lot and as well and recognized a few consonants in this matter but um, with books I just realized that I want to provide people with inspiration for language language learning because one thing when I'm learning on my own second thing when students come to study with us yeah to school and the point is that with school they don't study just like with me or, or with one of my colleagues they start they study actually in it like with a team of tutors so each tutor is responsible for a particular aspect because like a lot of my colleagues like yeah professional linguists who are specialized let's say in grammar in speaking yeah in listening like phonetics and so on and so forth so we kind of create this immersive environment but again like this is like this is available for people who come and study with us right but what about others who would like to study maybe on their own sure. so yeah so i decided yeah to share and the first book uh, was born during a situation when i was like uh, i i had like major screw you know screw situation so with documents i was like re- uh, renewing my residence they came and i happened to be caged in moscow while i was figuring out how like uh, to get it all and um, like settled and um, i got time nobody knew where i was <laughs> i was like working but i had time and uh, in order to kind of run away from depression yeah because in the situation was quite well devastating for that time i just sat down writing and i was writing 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 like non-stop and i finished my first book in a month that was insane but like oh. I, f- i finished and i think within three weeks i already got a publisher and we first decided to go with ebook but uh finally like this year so then it got well this year i noticed <laughs> this is crazy i noticed that it it actually has been a bestseller for the past like couple of years and with this year we are publishing it and we are publishing second edition but like with english there was uh, the english version it's a different book it's kind of continuation of the first book um that was um a bit trickier i think because um um i knew that there are lots of materials uh, about language learning in english at the same time i didn't want it to be too boring like talking you know in scientific language so anyways it kind of tied very nicely with my ted talk and as well we are now planning the second edition so about language ultra ego and then i knew that i would publish a book in spanish a book in portuguese in italian in <laughs> it's coming yes it's, it's all, all coming it's all coming because i'm not writing about the same stuff i am kind of writing about the same theme yeah it's about language learning cultural intelligence however it is written for that specific group of people for example english speaking people spanish speaking people russian speaking people portuguese speaking people based on their cultural codes based on their reality so uh, if we talk about like spanish speaking book uh that's quite interesting because at uh, that time like last year like last year i started spending lots of time in latin america kind of like moved for some time to buenos aires like in sao paulo in order as well to explore latin america in terms of well both like language learning business opportunities people education and yeah so i started writing it from the perspective kind of latin america not just spain and that's kind of interesting because um it gave me a completely new perception because again spanish is so different in all these countries and there are anyways <laughs> all at once yeah speaking of all at once actually like i noticed one of the things you said was you're learning multiple languages at once and there's some discussion and debate going on uh, some people have the opinion that it's not a good idea because it it interferes too much and let's say you only have a few hours to study a week then you know you're kind of spreading yourself thin if you don't have a lot of time so how did you come up with the idea of of doing multiple languages at the same time and and how do you feel that helps you learn faster <laughs> okay well that's a good way to succeed isn't it right and every time i use it i would go to study to a different country and i would actually study in that language i had to be ready 
And like, you know, even like, I don't know, before going to like the summer school in Portugal, yeah, so I needed to be very sure, like, you know, proper, properly, like, you know, properly settled, yeah. When I was going to China, I knew, okay, I, I needed the basics. When I went to Shanghai and I lived in Shanghai for a few months, like for business and as well continuing, you know, learning Chinese, still like you need to learn more. I was very determined, like, okay, I need to find, let's say, one hour per day, right? Whatever, like, yeah, for everybody it's different, yeah? Somebody uses, like, tomato, yeah, tomato, tomato, yeah? Um, yeah, so method. Um, for me, it was about, like, okay, um, like, in this country, wherever country, I'm using in everyday life one language. Then, uh, let's say, I need to prepare for another country where I will use a different language. At the same time, <laughs> Like, uh, let's say with my colleagues, I'm using two or three languages more. So I ended up speaking five, six languages per day. And that's been my reality for the past, God, five, six, six years or seven years, I think. When like every day, yeah, I have to speak because of um, either teaching activities, yeah, or talking to colleagues or talking to partners or whoever like in other countries and that just been you know like reality just like you know normality of it you just had to yes but i hear you i hear you and i can tell you that uh well recently so i've been to symposium like on bilingualism and also conferences on multilingualism and um, there as well all these questions about um, the balance between languages here and um, uh, as well about the influence here and code switching and attrition and i can tell you that um, i think it's it's very individual what i mean by this individual well individual settings is that um, for somebody uh, it's much easier to switch or it's even better they feel better when they switch Uh, and it's not just about languages it's about activities yeah so they don't feel it's a bored. But for somebody, uh, it's better to stay focused on one particular topic, yeah, no, well, theme or language. And um, that's about... How do you find out? Uh, do you just try it? And I think, yeah, it's trying. I think, I, I think it's trying. I think hints. it's like, yes, yes. I think it's like, you know, psychology. It's, uh, well, testing yourself, seeing uh, what you are better at. If you feel that you are more of a multitasking person, you you feel that you are like more excited. It gives you more energy when you switch from task to task. Yeah, then go f- try multiple languages. But if you feel that uh, you're better at um, like catching the flow and staying concentrated for a long time, yeah, like doing just one thing, that probably probably it's better yet to be with one language but also it's not just about languages man it's about as well cultures because one person could be bilingual but monocultural or bicultural yeah there's something more to it yeah it's not just a language it's this there's a whole whole uh, kind of backstory as well you need to understand and and implement but that's not easy though. That I, that's the hardest part. I I talked to my friend Anthony who was on the podcast. It's probably about a hundred episodes ago or something. But um, we were talking about he's been living in Prague for about fifteen years now, and we talked about how even though he's as fluent as you can be in Czech, like there's nothing he doesn't understand. He could still get lost at a dinner table if the other people start to talking about their favorite cereal commercials from the 1990s or 1980s, you know? So it's really tricky. And I, I think sometimes language learners give themselves a hard time on this. It's like, oh, I, I don't understand everything. No, well, I mean, you <laughs> if you put yourself into it, you you will eventually, but you can't expect to just, let's say, move to Spain and then a week later you suddenly understand everything there is about Spanish culture or, <laughs> or language. <laughs> like that's our idea as well like coming back to all this like uh, linguistic stuff yeah about like this personalities that's the idea that the utopia <laughs> of language learning that um, a person 
who embraces all, um, let's say, um, cultural references, social, like social references in the language, like in the dialect and context, uh, can be considered here as this perfect, well, example of secondary linguistic personality. Because when you create this personality, you create a person. Yeah, it's so different. It's unbelievably how it's unbelievable how different it is, and it it shows itself for me anyway. Just to give me some personal context, is it shows in my the tone, the tone of voice, the conf confidence. Uh, there's all kinds of differences when I speak, let's say English to Danish to German, which are my three strong languages, and then. Uh, as I speak some of my weaker languages, it changes even more. <laughs> um, so it's it, it's a funny thing. But what would you say to people who find a? Oh, maybe I should ask you this this first. When learning a new language, do you find it helpful to uh, overly over exaggerate the let's say pronunciation? And and if you're in a place with a lot of gestures, maybe like Italy, do you find it a good idea to? sort of uh, throw yourself in and, and over-exaggerate in the beginning and then tone it down? Or do you find that it's easier to increase it from the bottom? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's all we can do, right? We we can only we can only say what we think we know. <laughs> in 20 years' time, 50% of it will be proven wrong anyway, so... <laughs> Prosody, I mean, so what do we understand by prosody? We mean all the tone, yeah, so intonation, accentuation, mimics as well, body language, emotional responses, endocrine responses. Endocrine responses, it's like your endocrine system, yeah, so it's all already like it's your biology and chemistry involved, the chemical reactions. So uh, I don't know if, like, let's say you get scared, you get adrenaline, right? When you get angry, you get something else. So it's also tied up to emotions. And emotions, of course, are tied up, like emotional reactions, tied up to cultural connotations accepted in particular society. So it's all around there, coming coming to all these notions and stereotypes. Oh, like, uh, this culture is so closed and this culture is so open. And, and, and the head gestures, yeah, it's a very, very, well, vivid example. So I believe that um, at the beginning, it's good, like, not just to exaggerate, it's good to copy, as I say, imitate. Right. Because here, what happens, uh, we start using our mirror neurons, and mirror neurons are responsible for our well, learning aspect from our childhood. And uh, like that's why like it doesn't cost us, you know, so much so much effort just to look and imitate. And it shouldn't be like, you know But some people struggle with that though because it feels very it feels like first of all it feels awkward. <laughs> Second of all, it feels like we're making fun of the 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 kind of the stereotypical uh, presentation. So a lot of people resist, and I think that's actually holding them back because we, as a second language learner, it sounds exaggerated. It sounds silly, and it might, for the native speaker, sound a little bit different. But it's not like they're going to assume, oh, he's making fun of me. No, no, they just think, oh, it's a little bit strong, maybe. But you know, I've never heard any anyone in Danish, uh, maybe except Richard Simcott. He tends to exaggerate quite a lot. Um, but yeah, for for a long time when I met him at conferences, he would always tell me jokes in Danish and uh, make fun of <laughs> make fun of the Danish way of speaking. But um, apart from from that, um, I, I I don't I don't think people imitate enough. I think they hold back and then they sound really uh, non-fluent, like they sound really basic. And I had that problem for sure in, in many of my languages. And I think once you embrace the idea of a, an alter ego, um, which is for me, uh, you, uh, I'd love to hear your definition as well. But for me, it would be like, what would the let's say the German Chris look like? Well, how would he speak? How would he? What would he be interested in? And just embodying that, 
I feel like I'm 10% more fluent, <laughs> you know? Yep, 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 you, you go to try it. It's, it's a mix, like, uh, it's a mix of, as I say, like, anthropology. Like, you become the scientist who study that particular culture and people, yeah? You pick, well, guys, girls, whoever, yeah, you just watch them, and you see what they do, how they move, yeah? What their body language, even, the, like, how they walk, yeah, they're so right. cute. Then it oh, I walk like Putin now, just as I <laughs> Because that's the most badass walk I've ever seen in the world. So uh, I've uh, kind of embraced that. Oh, wow. I need, to, <laughs> I need to check it out. I have no idea how it works. Like, I have no idea. But anyways, um, like, it's about, yeah, wh why I remember the walk? Because um, there was a case study, also like this intercultural communication, you know, stories, um, how one guy somewhere, I think, in Egypt, um, just uh, didn't properly imitate the walk, and uh, people could assume that he was a foreigner, just looking the way how he walked. Yep. So, and when he changed, the, the story, when he changed the walk, then he kind of blended in. You ah. know? Yes. So, it's, it's already, you know, without even saying... You know, any word you could actually fit in or opposite, yeah, stand yeah. out. So it's about like first part of this, yeah. So kind of sociocultural, let's say, observations. Second part is imitation, yeah. And uh, it's okay, like so important. Yeah. Don't uh, like don't overthink whether you're exaggerating or not. What's very important here is that you will suddenly discover that your voice, like your pitch tone, is different from what you are used to. Like my, you know, yeah. my English voice, like it's kind of, it's just, you know, it's just so different from when I you know, speak Spanish, Italian, Portuguese, like Russian, whichever, you know, language. So, yeah. and I embraced it and I, I can like distinguish all my voices now in different languages. So that's also quite peculiar because you get sort of a rainbow of different yes sounds so yeah. this this is another one so get used to it and uh, then obviously you need to dig into history yeah and like history could be in general history major events major well economic political social events uh trends uh culture in terms of like tv yeah tv or no movies um, perhaps your books, your paintings. So to be on the same wave with the locals. So if you know that there, are, I don't know, let's say elections, are, I don't know, elections are taking place here, or um, uh, there is like an important event taking place, yeah. you need to be on the same page with them. You need to to be aware what they're talking about. So you shouldn't be like very like hard on yourself this, but I believe that's indeed very important because as soon as you start getting it and then as well like making jokes, yeah, and understanding the humor, I think that's when you can get on top of it. And uh, apart from that's that, tricky, yeah, yeah, the idioms and fixed and, expressions and, and, and yeah, idioms, set phrases, obviously, because they're like a lot of them are tied up to all this like. If, uh, events, I know, in like movies. old history or movies, yeah. yeah, whatever it is, indeed, local, like local slant, right? And uh, obviously, then it's about uh, decision making and perception. Because um, um, I conducted a study on uh, perception of the world, like on perception of time and space, and uh, like in different languages, like different cultures. And that's quite fascinating because. Um, you know that, well, in English, like, I mean, in, let's say, Western cultures, like, we talk about tomorrow, it's in front of us, yesterday is behind us. But if we go to Mandarin, for example, Chinese, and we start uh, talking about a time, we suddenly notice that, like, yesterday is not uh, behind us, but yesterday is, like, somewhere in front of us or, uh, like, you know, above us. Mm. Yeah. Why so? Because, and, and, and the future is behind. <laughs> Why so? And uh, because um, we are, we've seen the past, we know the past, that's why we can see it, 
but the future is unknown that's why uh, we are moving yeah, with our back yeah we're moving backwards and it influences our body language because um, in English I would indicate with I don't know my finger my hand my arm like yeah in front of me like I'll see you tomorrow but what are you going to do in Chinese <laughs> you will show a different yeah gesture and I remember how confusing it was for me for my body while I was switching like in Shanghai <laughs> yes Back and forth. yeah 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 exactly I was just like you know I was like entangled <laughs> in my you know arms like where, where I'm indicating so yeah so it's, it's it's a different thing but what's important here look that when we create all these personalities it's about maintaining all these different perceptions of the world in one hand and there are also studies about it because um, again like um, like our listeners could check like uh, for example there are three groups of people one group of people who comes to another country let's say immigrates yeah they have their own language and they start learning second language but they uh, can't accept the culture and language you know doesn't work out so they eventually don't assimilate and they just stay in their group yeah so it's like just like mono kind of mono monolingual monoculture then the second group the same comes to the same country learns this language and the second language and second culture starts taking over like dominating like the power yeah of this culture and they assimilate 100% they forget about their roots they like attrition happens here yeah, uh, to their first language um, and they are like local and the third group of people manages to secure their roots like their first language and first culture and like be assimilated in the second language second culture kind of maintaining both and that's the most difficult one the trickiest and uh, well listeners could try you know to assess which languages and which cultures are really kind of you know feeling like native for them right now yeah and they feel like really like you know fish in the sea and which ones are still foreign for them yeah i think there's a lot of confusion there as well because we can travel so easily now in the world mm -hmm. uh, you know people go uh, to to new countries all the time and they can live abroad for a long period of time mm -hmm. and i definitely i don't know how connected i feel with my with denmark my original mm -hmm. country mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. but i don't know if that was like did i travel because i never felt connected or did i felt did i disconnect because i traveled mm -hmm. so sometimes that's i think that's a little bit tricky and i think often people who move abroad they're seeking something that their home country can't provide or home environment mm -hmm. uh so that but that's a whole different yeah no <laughs> no no, no but, whole, but whole it's good episode. it's good yeah it's, it's, it's very good yeah i think that's mm -hmm. interesting that mm -hmm. when you get good at something or when you really embrace a new culture or really mm -hmm. integrate like i feel pretty integrated here in the uk mm -hmm. but i'm very aware that when i go back home in denmark i feel like a foreigner Mm -hmm. very much so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's like the trade-off is almost like if you want to go and learn a new language and completely assimilate you will be kind of foregoing or missing out on some of your original culture unless you're I, I don't know maybe you can be very careful or you keep on top of it somehow I, I don't know if that's even possible but that's like that's the third group as I mentioned here but the, the most complicated one but uh, according to the studies um, there is a good percentage of people who manages to keep a few languages, a few cultures, like being truly multilingual and uh, multicultural and looking at all of it, like at the same time, you know, kind of like uh, choosing in which uh, cultural connotation to be, in which language to be. So that's fascinating because it's a skill. I, I, I think it's, it's very extremely fascinating. It's a very tricky subject. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who might be a little bit, yeah, that might put them off a bit from traveling because they don't want to lose mm -hmm. their their home identity, their home culture. But and maybe they don't quite lose it. It's just a, it changes. I think I think travel changes you for the better, definitely. But you can't have it both ways. I feel like you, you can't keep what you had and change to something new at the same time. But that's actually interesting what you just mentioned. You, you mentioned identity. Very important here 
to distinguish personality and identity. Yeah, mm -hmm. identity, sense of belonging. Well, personality, uh, we can like we can both like have many identities and personalities, but personalities are more flexible. They shift because yeah, it's about okay, actions. Yeah. yeah, it's about behavior. It's emotional responses. Uh, therefore, therefore. Um, you might, let's say, lose your identity, yeah, like the sense of belonging, but you might still uh, preserve your personality, like you might still act as if you were, let's say, you know, Danish, like you would be acting as Danish with your Danish perception of the world and yeah. habits. However, you wouldn't feel that um, that particular territory or like you know, city, wherever you used to live, still well, so like it's the home for you, right? It's hmm. tough, <laughs> but anyway, uh, like I feel like we mm -hmm. could uh, talk for the, about this for days, and oh, absolutely, you've, uh, spent years uh, researching it. So, no, I <laughs> I'm mean, sure th there's a lot to to uncover. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we, I, I know we're, uh, we're we're running out of time mm -hmm. here, but just want to thank you for coming on and, and sharing your your story, your <laughs> fascinating story, and it feels like uh, it's just beginning. You know, you've got so many projects going on and. There's so many uh, new products and books and, and uh, companies coming out of you, so uh, we'll be definitely looking forward to, to seeing more of, of you in, in the future. But where can people find you right now? Where's the best to, to go and see what you're up to and uh, find out more? Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Like, honestly, like, it's fascinating. And, uh, guys, if, like, anybody who's, like, listening, uh, doing research here on multilingualism, yeah, like psychology, psycholinguistics, please reach out. So you can find me on Facebook, uh, Instagram, yeah, so Twitter, not very, very popular, but still, so it's Matve Kaf. Matve Kaf, you can, you can Google it like Ekaterina Matviva, <laughs> but Matve Kaf, yeah, would be like M-A-T-V, oh my God, yeah, K-A-V, Matve Kaf. Yeah, I hope like Chris, you're going to write it I'll later. Put, yeah, yeah, I'll put it in the in the in the title, of course, and I also put it. Yes, in the, in yes, the show yes. Notes, but Instagram, uh, yeah, yeah so. and Facebook is good. Yeah, and also like Amalingua, because we are writing there different tips as well on like soft skills, like for example, public speaking in foreign languages. Yeah, explaining people how they could master their speeches and how they could prepare uh, like TED talk speeches, you know, in different languages. Fantastic. Well, mm -hmm. thank you so much, and uh, I'll see you around. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's perfect.